So at 35 years old, I knew that I wasn't going to make it till 60 or 65 or 70 years old as a dentist. It just wasn't in the cards. And um, I know I look, I met dentists in my that were 80 and still practicing. And I said, I was not going to be that person. So I knew that I needed to potentially have an option to exit dentistry earlier than expected. So that's why a lot of these things happened the way they did. The future of dentistry belongs to the innovators. Welcome to Innovation in Dentistry. I'm your host, Sean Zayas, and I believe that the future of dentistry is going to be unbelievably great over the next decade and two decades. But the question isn't that. The question is, are you going to be part of what makes dentistry great? Okay, so I could not be more excited today to be with Dr. Len Tao. Now, Len, your reputation precedes you. Uh, I don't know how you became known as the review doctor, but we're going to dive into all that. So before we do, let me just welcome you. Thank you so much for letting me interview you today. Uh, thank you so much for having me and, and allowing me to be interviewed. So I appreciate it. I appreciate the invite. It's always a little weird and strange when a podcaster interviews another podcaster, uh, especially when you have been doing it for so long. Uh, like you said, you're going on episode number, what, 300 and something? Yeah, six years. So we started in April of, of 2018, and we're at over, I think we're over, episode, over 300 episodes at this point. So we're in season, mm -hmm. we're currently in season six right now, uh, and it comes out weekly on, weekly on Fridays. Um, and um, it's amazing. Like I told you, when I first started it, I, I didn't know if anybody would want to speak with me. And I did it really just to create content. I love educating. I love talking about things. And I thought it would be a great avenue for me to do that. And here we are. I'm, I mean, I'm, my next episode I record doesn't come out until like September 30th. So, I mean, we are, I'm so heavily booked out and I have a, a waiting list of people. So it's been a, it's been a really interesting and fun time for me. I, I look forward to doing it because I'm able to network with people. I learn more about what they do. They learn more about what I do. And it's really opened the doors for a lot of other things. So I can't complain. Well, we're going to dive into a little bit more about how that started. But first off, innovation in dentistry, Len, like it could be a lot of different things, right? We could be talking about clinical dentistry here. We could be talking about technological innovations. But what really fascinates me is what mindset and what belief set actually allows someone to just step up and say, Hey, like, why not me? Why, why can't I pioneer some positive change? And for us, we're talking about dentistry. So with you, I'm so curious, like, here you are, you're a dentist, which is more than enough in its own. Like you could be content, fulfilled, happy, just doing great dentistry. But yet there's something inside of you that's like, well, well there's more. And my whole thing is like, there's never that guarantee when all of a sudden that light bulb comes on or there's that, that urging inside of, man, why don't, I, why don't I step up and do something different? Why don't I be the solution to this problem that I'm seeing or lead? So my encouragement always to the listeners here is they know what they're hearing between the lines that's stirring inside of them. And my whole thing is that's why I want to interview people like you that can provide that encouragement and inspiration. So I want to know, first of all, how did you even get into dentistry? And then we'll just take it from there. So my dad, um, who unfortunately passed away uh, in June of, of 2020, uh, 2021, so it's two years now, um, he was a dentist. Um, he practiced in the lower level, he liked me to call it, even though it was the basement. 
it was the lower level um, of our home um, and he had a home office and uh, I grew up watching him transform people's smiles and uh, he was really good at it. He took tons of CE. He was proud of his accomplishments. He had two locations, one in our home and one in uh, Manhattan. And um, I just decided that I loved what he did and I loved my dad and he was a, you know, a big mentor of mine and a, a big, you know, Rah rah! He celebrated what I did, and I just felt it would be a really good um, mix to go into dentistry because he was a dentist, and I looked up to him. So that's really the impetus behind me choosing to go to dentistry. Um, to begin with, though, I, I actually thought I would be an accountant or a lawyer, and I took accounting classes in high school, and I said, "This is boring. I can't do this." And I thought I would do law, and I still remember the exact moment I decided I was not doing law. I was sitting at my apartment. I went to Tulane. Um, and it was 90, it was the year 2000. Okay. Excuse me. It was a year, sorry, 1992. I was a sophomore in college and I was watching headline news and there was a fun fact that came up and said, by the year 2025, there'll be 200% more lawyers than there currently are right now. And it was that moment that I, that something went off my brain and said, you're not going to be a lawyer. So I called my parents and I said, I made a decision of what I want to do when I grow up as I called it. And I said, I'm going to be a dentist. My dad was really, that's awesome. And my mom said, are you sure? And I was like, yeah, she goes, you're selling yourself to the devil. That's what my mom said to me. <laughs> Still remember the exact conversation. And, and I was like, I understand that. So the whole intention was for us to work together. Um, at least join practices, whether it was most likely going to be Manhattan at that point. Um, but things changed soon afterwards when my dad developed cancer and um, he had to sell one of his practices, the New York location, uh, the New York City location. And then he was out of dentistry for almost a year, recovering from a cancer that they thought would kill him. He lived 27 years with, with that type of cancer, and then he got another cancer, and that killed him, unfortunately. But um, yeah, plans changed very quickly after doing that. Um, and I wasn't even in dental school at that point, so there was, it was not uh, in the cards to, to join my dad at any point. So I ended up on my own route of, of dentistry after that. So now growing up, seeing your dad, looking up to him, um, you know, having that great relationship, which I think is just uncommon to begin with. So like, that's amazing that you had parents and, and a dad that, I don't know, that you could respect and that you had that connection with. Um, I had amazing parents as well, and I'm, I'm super thankful for them. Uh, my dad ended up going into like starting a dental supply company. So that's why I have a dental supply company. Um, and that's why I do what I do. But I had a brother and sister that kind of wanted to go their own way. And, and there's nothing wrong with that, right? That's a pretty popular sentiment of like, hey, I need to live my own life, do my own thing. Um, what was it? Was it kind of special getting to honor your dad in that way? And, and really just, I don't know, be, follow his footsteps and become a dentist? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I loved, I loved doing dentistry. I mean, I was excited to initially join him in practice. It just wasn't in the cards. And, um, you know, I, so that was, that was a problem in that sense. It just kind of screwed up the, the plan that we had had kind of the path we had designed when we first talked about it. But, um, yeah, I mean, my dad was thrilled that I went into his field, obviously. Um, he knew that I had a lot of other interests in life. Um, I was, I had a very big computer background. I liked doing a lot of other things, but he was, he was obviously very happy that I, I chose his profession. Now, was, was there like a big gap between like, you know, you're going through dental school 
and you're talking to him about what he went through, because I'm guessing what, maybe 20, 25 years later, um, was it relatable or was it like a shock because it's like things had changed so much? Things have changed a lot. I mean, uh, it's interesting. Um, I, so my dad graduated Tufts where I went to school. We went to the same school. Uh, he graduated Tufts in 1970. I graduated in 1999. So it was a, there was a 30, almost a 30 year difference in when we finished school together. And um, so my dad knew some of my professors. Okay. Um, and my dad ended up becoming a faculty member at Tufts when I was in school as well. And it was always that, you know, I still remember I was not very good at doing wax ups. So what they would do is they give you a tooth and they give you um, half the tooth and you have to wax up the other half. And I just wasn't good at it. Um, and it didn't mean I wouldn't be a good dentist, but people said to me, like, literally, it's like, I'm going to tell your dad that you're just not doing well. I'm like, maybe you want to consider another profession. I'm like, well, tell my dad, it doesn't matter to me, but it, it had no effect on me becoming a good dentist. Um, but I, yeah, I mean, it was very interesting because a lot of people knew my dad because he worked there. Um, you know, I was a good student. Um, and uh, it was just interesting to see how, how things were different. And I look, I, my dad and I communicated a lot about school at the time and, um, he would always relate, relate things to when he was in school, but it was times were very different then. So times were very different. So hearing about, like you said, different options, you know, I think you said something about computing and you're possibly interested in originally in, in accounting and then becoming a lawyer. Like, it's clear to me that you like intellectually are, are, are brilliant and incredibly smart. When did you know that you were entrepreneurial? Because seeing where you're at now and the way that you're leading and the vision that you have, um, I don't necessarily feel like that is implied in someone that, that could be a great lawyer or be a great accountant or even be a great dentist. So when did you realize, you know what, I, I'm not just excellent at this. There's, there's more to the way that I'm I don't know that I'm wired and, and I'm just hungry for more. So it's interesting you asked that question because when I was 13 years old, I started the baseball card business. So my, I was a tennis player and my tennis coach sold baseball cards on the side. And I'm a, I was a huge baseball fan. I mean, I love sports, but I was a huge baseball fan and I was a baseball card collector of myself on my own. And I was like, what does that mean? You're a baseball card dealer. He goes, well, do you want to come with me? You know, to one of the shows. I'm like, sure, why not? So when I was really intrigued by what he, what he was doing and I went home to my parents and I said, I need some money. And they said, for what? I'm like, I want to start a baseball card business. And they looked, I said, what? I'm like, no, I want to start a baseball card business. I know baseball. I have a good mind. I have a good idea of, of, of what to invest in. Can I have $50,000? And my, and my, my, my dad said, really? I'm like, yeah. So they, I signed a promissory notes they gave me $50,000 and within a year I paid him back the full $50,000 and I was making $60,000 a year. We wait, made, wait, wait, wait. How old are you? 13 years old. <laughs> 13 years old. So at 13 years old, I was making about $60,000 a year selling baseball cards. Um, the initial name of the company was called L and M's lineup. Lenny, Len, well, everybody called me Lenny back then, but Len and Lenny and Morton's lineup. Well, after I bought him out, I changed the name to Lenny's lineup. So Lenny's lineup was the name of my baseball card company. I would travel from to trade show to trade show um, and sell and invest in baseball cards. And, um, you know, I, I really enjoyed it. And um, I had a feeling, though, in, in 2007, 2000, so sorry, this was 1991. Okay, so this was 1991. 
that the baseball card business would start to flounder and I was going to college anyway. So I sold the business and the, 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 literally the whole economy tanked with baseball cards and I would have lost a lot of money if I stayed in, but I luckily sold everything. And, uh, that was the end of the baseball cards, but I've always, I've, I've been an entrepreneur since I was very young. Len, this is just blowing my mind because a, you have, I don't know what other way to say it. You have the cojones to ask your parents for $50,000 as a 13 year old. And then you have enough maturity and intelligence to actually like successfully make money, pay it back. And then you have the vision to understand where the industry is going and realize I probably need to plan an exit. Yeah. And college was really the exit I had. So I knew that I was going to college and I couldn't do it in college. So it was a good time, but I had a feeling that the market would be become an issue and it did. Um, so I had the wherewithal and it's look, it's similar to what happened with the reviews and how I kind of got involved outside of things in dentistry. So it's, it's kind of like I replicated things just later in life. Okay. So tell me, tell me about that. So, so then you go to college, you know, you choose dentistry, um, you think you're going to be working with your dad now. So did you take over his practice because he needed some help? No, I went, this was many years before. So this was in, this was in, in the year 1995, I finished uh, college. My dad in, in 93 and 94, I went through his cancer struggles. So I went to dental school in 95 and I graduated in 99. And um, so my dad was clear of cancer then, and hit, but the practice, he had sold the practice and it was kind of the earmark for me. So it was really interesting. When I graduated in school in 99, we, I chose to do, a, I knew I wanted to be a, in private practice. So, um, so I chose to do what's called an AEGD. It's called an um, Advanced Education General Dentistry. Where you can do that or you can do a GPR, a general practice residency. GPRs are normally done in the hospital. I didn't want to do it in a hospital setting. I wanted to do it in like a clinical setting. So um, my goal at the time was to attend the University of Connecticut's AEGD program. I was in Massachusetts for dental school and I was going to go to Connecticut. And um, they have a match program in the industry. So my whole intention was, hey, let's go to Connecticut. Connecticut told me that I was their top choice. I was their top choice, which means you match. Okay. When I got the match, I was sent to Southern Jersey, which was my second choice. And I called up and said, what happened? There happened to have been a clerical error. And they left me off the list accidentally. And I was sent to a second location. So that took me away from the Northeast and took me to the Philadelphia area. So if that clerical error didn't happen, my life would be totally different. I mean, I would never end up in Philadelphia. So um, I ended up going to Philadelphia. I was the, the residency program was in Southern Jersey, um, but I didn't want to be a single guy living in Southern Jersey. So I chose to live in Philadelphia and ended up meeting a, a woman uh, on vacation, right? When I graduated from de dental school and I ended up marrying her. So that, that kind of kept me in, in the Philadelphia area. Unfortunately, that marriage didn't last very long. Uh, we only married about two years. And, um, and I ended up meeting another woman in Philadelphia. I was already established in Philly and wasn't planning to go back to New York at that point. And um, then I ended up getting married, you know, settling in, in Philadelphia permanently, you know, buying a practice and, and the rest is history at that point. Man. It, <laughs> okay. So you have this early success though, with business, with something different, even then as a 13 year old, are your peers kind of like Len? You're crazy. Like, are, are they in awe of what you're doing? Are you not even thinking this is weird? 
Um, like, what are no, you it's going normal through? For me. It was just normal, normal for me. I, it was, it was like I was living my, look, I didn't live your, your normal average childhood. I would say, I mean, I wasn't into going to the prom. I wasn't into socializing. I was making money. I mean, it was just what it was about. I, I enjoyed what I did. And I, so I didn't have an, I would say your normal high school edu, you know, educational timeline. Um, I still finished in four years, but I, I was doing other things. Um, so to me, it was just normal because it wasn't, I wasn't, I look, I, even on that, I worked, I worked at, um, I worked at electronics boutique, which was a, a software store selling computer software. When I went to college, I worked in college. I, I worked at CompUSA and, a, and I was the top salesman at a, at a computer store. I mean, so even though I didn't have to, I was in school, I, I, I enjoyed working. So I've always had that knack for keeping busy and being a hustler. That's what I was known as. So I feel like that's not, again, like the normal mold for a dentist. So here you are, you have your own practice now in South Jersey, you said? Uh, I, I practiced my, my, so I, I went into a practice as, a, as an associate in um, 2001. Uh, sorry, wrong year again. Um, in, in 2000, uh, no, let's see. No, I was right. So in 2001, I joined a group practice in uh, Lansdale, Pennsylvania. So I worked for somebody for five years, basically five and a half years, almost six years. And, but I knew that this was only the stepping stone. Um, I kind of needed to figure out my, the, what I wanted to do. And I had to figure out where I wanted to practice. So I used this as a stepping stone. And I had an, my, I had an amazing dental mentor as my boss. He was a great dentist, which I learned a lot about dentistry. Um, but I knew that was just a stepping stone to doing other things. So in 2007 is when I bought my practice. I actually bought a practice in um, Northeast Philadelphia, about 30 miles from where I was living. And, um, but I bought it from a, a dentist who committed suicide. So mm -hmm. it was bought under very extraneous and extraordinary circumstances. People thought I was nuts to do that in and of itself, but it, was, it had the really the good bones, the team stayed on. Um, he was a well-known person in Philadelphia. He did a ton of marketing. Um, so that was the next step after being an associate for from 1999 when I got out of school or 2000 when I got out of residency to then 2007. So that was a stepping stone to the next step of my career, which was owning my own practice. So during your associateship, you said you got mentored by a really great um, dentist. Now, was that mentorship um, on the business and clinical side or was it mainly on the clinical side? It was mostly on the clinical side. I did learn some business things from him, but it was mostly clinical that I really took. Um, I thought I could handle the business side because I already had a business acumen. But uh, so were there I, any was, were there any surprises like being in dentistry and all of a sudden realizing, oh my gosh, the business side is is either messier than I thought or weirder. Like I'm curious because you already have like some business skills, business sense, and now you're in dentistry. Like was it was it like weirder than you thought it would be? So are, are you talking about when I became an owner or when I was just the associate still? I, I guess e either one, like meaning how did it either shift with you initially the first five years as an associate or when you had your own practice? Like were there some moments when you're yeah. like, oh my gosh, dentistry just sucks. Like, <laughs> so, so I loved being an associate because all I did was my dentistry. I didn't really have any other responsibilities per se. Um, so I, I basically produ produced and I made money. Um, I thought I was very much ready to go into private practice on my own. And um, from the dental side, yes, but from the business side, absolutely not. And, and running the business and, and being a CEO and having to be responsible for doing everything in the practice as a business owner. So it was very eye-opening to me. 
and you know, I had to learn a lot about running a business, even though I had a very good business side of things. So in those first five years of owning your own practice, what do you feel like was probably one of the main mindsets that you either needed to embrace so that you could succeed or a mindset that you just had to shed so that you could succeed? I had to relook at things. Uh, you know, I thought I was, I thought I was very prepared to be an owner, but I, I was not. And I was not probably, it was, I probably had to learn a lot about um, just interacting with people as the owner and not just a dentist anymore. And um, I, I was a very eye-opening experience for me. Um, I look back and I, I'm surprised it did so well, but I, I, I learned, I, I, you know, I coached, I got coaches. I worked with some coaches. I mean, uh, basically when I bought the practice, the team, and I hate to say it had me by the balls. Okay. Because I, they knew that if they didn't stay, that the practice was going to flounder. So I needed them to stay there, which I did. They stayed. I met with them all. They were all going to leave, but they all met me and they decided to stay. They all wanted more money. Of course, I had to give them a lot to, to convince them to stay. But um, I, so I hired a, a coach to come in and help me run the initial part of the business. And she basically said, was very frank with me and says, Len, you don't listen. You, you need to listen to your staff. You need to listen to your patients. You're not a good listener. And I'm like, I'm a great listener. I listen to everybody. And she goes, no, you're not a good listener. So I actually took listening classes to be, I took like, I was coached to listen better. So I learned, I learned active listening. I, I do, do it every day. Now an amazing listener now, but I, I really had to look myself in the mirror and say, do you want to become a better person? And, and, you know, I always say I'm a New York, I was a New Yorker. I, you know, practiced in Philadelphia. I brought my New York attitude in there and it pissed a lot of people off. So, you know, I learned a lot about myself. I learned about how to become a better person, a better businessman, but I was coached to be able to do all those things. So in the first, let's say five, 10 years, was there a really low point where you either hit a wall or, or something where it's like, you didn't want to get out of bed in the morning. Did you ever have like that dark night of the soul in dentistry where you, I don't want to say considered giving up, but were the closest to giving up? No, absolutely not. And, and, you know, I actually was, I've been very fortunate. And I say this on, if you hear me on other podcasts, I say this all the time. I've been extremely fortunate. I've actually had multiple careers. I, every day of my life, I wake up excited to do something, whatever's on the schedule that day. I I'm excited to do those things. And I'm very fortunate because I know some people hate what they do. I absolutely loved what I did. No matter what I was doing that day, I loved it. So I've been very fortunate to have that, just that mental idea about things. So I've never had a really been in a dark place or, or had any, you know, potential of, of, you know, prematurely exiting dentistry. But when I bought my practice, I was $18,000 in debt. You know, I bought the building. Uh, I obviously paid for the practice. I bought the building. I gutted the building. I would totally re rehab the building and um, basically made it my own. And if you walked into that office, you would not even know it was the same place. And I need you that also for the patients and the team. That was the other reason why I did it. But I was at, at, at the end of all things, I was $18,000 in debt and I had to um, generate new patients to pay the bills. And that's when there was a major shift in what happened in my career because of that. So your back's against the wall, you're in debt, you just decide to take and it was over business debt. It was, it's, good, it's good debt. Business debt is good yes, debt. Yes. But it's still, I had debt I had to pay back. Correct. Yes. Yes. But so, e even in that community, there must be some sense of tragedy because the dentist that you're replacing literally exited this world 
and and it wasn't the about team the members. <laughs> so just to make it clear, he had no practice issues really. So, yeah, but but I'm just saying, still, like the fact that you got thrust into this unstable, insecure situation, and you were able to bring security and lead in a way to get it out. It's like I can understand why you're able to help other practices. At what point in your journey did you realize, like, hey, um you know, I, I can start helping other practices. Like when did, when did this morph into all of a sudden I know how to get reviews. So now all of a sudden I'm becoming known as the, the review doctor. So when I, when I bought the practice, I needed to generate patients, like I said, and, and I hired companies to do that for me. So I hired what we would call the gurus and the gurus said, Hey, we need to do this. We need to do this. We need to do this. And I was like, okay, we tried it. It didn't work. And I was spending money on, on, I was felt I was wasting money. So I said, you know what? I think I can do things better myself. And I started reading. I started, and I was always an internet person. So I, I started researching and figuring things out and I started to do my own marketing. And I always say, I, I try lots of things. I, I was the guinea pig for lots of things. I threw lots of darts at things and, you know, some things hit really well. Other things didn't. I wasted a lot of money. For example, I did a, I did a, um, a radio advertisement on uh, an AM rate station, not far from my office. And it was called the bull session, which was um, um, Greg Luzinski was a former Philadelphia Philly. And he had this, um, this session and I sponsored the session and, and I got free tickets to the Phillies. So I had a season pass of, you know, season tickets to the Phillies as well as part of the, the perk. And um, it was, it was cost me over 20 grand probably. I can't even remember how much it was, but I literally got no patience from it. It was a complete waste of money. But the guy who sold me the ad felt so bad that I did that bad, but he became a patient of mine and he actually ended up doing a biz line and a couple other things. So I, I got at least one page. I got one patient from that thing. So that was really a bad thing I did, but um, I started the, 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 everything started to kind of rock and roll over time. And I got, and I, I, I had a, a deluge of new patients coming in and a lot of my colleagues were really interested in what I was, what I was doing or how I was doing it. So a, a very big point in my career was I went to the Academy of Aesthetic Dentistry, not the cosmetic dentistry, the aesthetic dentistry meeting with my father. And I met a gentleman by the name of Joseph Greenberg, who is a cosmetic aesthetic dentist in Villanova, Pennsylvania, uh, not far from where I practiced. And um, he saw something in me and he said, Len, I love your passion. I want you to give a presentation to my study club. So, and I, and I was not a good speaker. I was not very... You know, I would, I didn't like talking clinical, but he wanted me to talk about how I marketed my practice and how I was, I was generating these new patients. So I was like, sure. So I put together a, a presentation on a Mac, um, got there, plugged my Mac in, and there were probably 20 people there and wasn't working. And I still remember this vividly. My first presentation plugged in, wasn't working. Take, pull it out, plugged it in again, didn't work. So in a room of like 20 people, I had to present my presentation on my small computer because I couldn't get the screen working. <laughs> oh, my gosh. But after I was done, people said, that was amazing. You're like a born speaker. The content you gave us was great. And, you know, for those that know that are listening to this, you know, and, you know, speaking to an audience and, and, and hearing them tell you that gives you a whole different feeling. I can't even describe the feeling that you get after that happens. And I called my wife and I said, oh my God, I love speaking. I want to do this more. And that is kind of how it started. Um, you know, after that, I was asked by someone else in Philadelphia to speak and someone else. And I finally got 
to speaking at a, a, a session called the Academy of Stomatology, which is one of the oldest study clubs in, in Philadelphia. And I, I got a call from the back of the room during the session. And it was like, dude, I need your help. You need to help me with this. I need to hire you as a consultant. And I was like, consulting, I'm a dentist. I don't want to do consulting. But after I started speaking more and more and more, more people asked me to help them consult. And I was like, if people want it, I'm going to give it to them. So I created a consulting company called iSocial Dental Consulting. And in a matter of weeks, I had 20 clients. And I was overwhelmed, overwhelmed. And um, I didn't like the consulting model, like your traditional consulting model. I was too busy. I, I, I didn't have to, Zoom wasn't even a thing back then. I mean, it was, it was hard to you know, get everything I needed. And um, I just didn't like that model. So I, I went to my business coach. And I said, I need to come up with another idea. And in the meantime, I realized the power of, of online reviews. I forgot to mention that. I understood how reviews were bringing patients into my practice. And this was the very early part of, of online marketing. But reviews were a huge influence to bring patients into my practice. And I would ask them why you chose me. And they said, oh, you're a great website or you had amazing reviews. So I understood the power of reviews. But getting reviews was not easy. And I said to my coach, I said, maybe I can develop a piece of software to help dentists with online reviews. And a light went off. So I partnered with some people and we created a piece of software and that transitioned me from consulting really on a full-time basis. So I created it and this was 2012 and 13. So in January of 2013, I launched a, a product called iSocial Reviews, which was a very basic manual way for a dentist and their team to get reviews from their patients. And we were using like a Chromebook to generate, to do this. And this was all legal back then. Um, and that was, that started my, my world of in 2013, in January of 13, I launched my product at the Yankee dental meeting and had no idea if anybody was interested in buying it. It was more of a test, a test thing. And I, I left the Yankee dental meeting uh, with nine new clients paying me a $497 setup fee and three ninety seven a month. And I knew that I had something here. And that was the start of my, my career as, you know, a kind of a review guy. You know, luckily I had about 180 dentists buy my product in the first 18 months going from meeting to meeting or just networking on Dental Town and talking to people about it because there was nothing of its kind then. It was a brand new product. And uh, BirdEye came calling in, in 2014 and they acquired my, they wanted my revenue. They were, they bought my revenue. They bought my clients. They got rid of my, my software. They didn't really want the, the technology because there was, <laughs> there's really no technology. They had the technology. They wanted my, my help to do that. But that's kind of how kind of things have evolved. I got very, I was very fortunate. Um, but I, it's all through hard work and dedication um, that I was able to achieve what I did in that short period of time. Okay. So there's like probably four different times that when you were just sharing that my mind was blown. I talked to so many dentists and they, they want fulfillment. They want differentiation, but at the end of the day, they look around and they just do what everybody else is doing. And at the genesis of your story, it started with you simply trying new things and not being afraid to try new things, knowing that there's no guarantee, knowing that you might just end up wasting money like you did in some of those instances. And it's like the adage goes, like the world will make space for your gift. You ended up doing something that took, had like, it worked, like traction started happening. It became something that was remarkable. And then other people are like, oh my God, look what he's doing. Oh my gosh, look what he's doing. And then they're like, well, hey, you, you need to share and speak. So all of a sudden this platform emerges 
I love that you're saying like, you never viewed yourself as a speaker to this point. You didn't think you were a good speaker. You probably didn't like it. You know, there's the natural fear of speaking. And then the first experience, even with all the technical difficulties, and it's like, boom, there's alignment. You like, you realize like, wow, A, my message resonates with other people. And B, like, this is actually part of what I'm like called to do, like who I am, um, which is so crazy, Len. I, like, it's, I don't want to say I'm struggling, but it's hard to, keep track of all the different skill sets and giftings that you have. And then the story morphs into people approaching you for consulting. And then you having all these people when you're still a dentist and then it morphs into you being like a software startup entrepreneur that then gets acquired. Like I'm, I'm officially like, have you written a book about this yet? Well, it's, I have two books. One is called Raving Patients. So Raving Patients talks about my journey, um, but I haven't written a, like it's more of on the dental side. Obviously, I didn't write it as a uh, as a story to be told about my life, like Len's autobiography. No, I haven't written anything like that. But it's encompassing in my book Raving Patients, which is right here for those that are curious. That's the book that talks about my journey. But you know, one of the things I forgot to mention to you was that I. I built a practice of my dreams. Okay. My office was brand new. It had every, every technology I could ever imagine in the office. And I was a tech, I was a tech guy. So I had all early, I was always an early adopter. And uh, so I was the first person with an iPhone. You know, I remember standing in line when my son was literally in a, in a, in a stroller to get the first iPhone. My wife didn't want it. I brought it home. She goes, you got to go home and get me one now or go back to the store and get me one. So I was always an early adopter. So I built the practice of my dreams, but I was not living the life of my dreams. And that was partially because I was, I was practicing dentistry only 25 hours a week, but I was running the business. It took another 40 hours a week for me to run the business. So I knew that I would not be able to, I want to say, I knew that I, I was 20. This is when I was 30. Let's see, that was 2007. So I was 35. So at 35 years old, I knew that I wasn't going to make it till 60 or 65 or 70 years old as a dentist. It just wasn't in the cards. And um, I know I look, I met dentists in my that were 80 and still practicing. And I said, I was not going to be that person. So I knew that I needed to potentially have an option to exit dentistry earlier than expected. So that's why a lot of these things happened the way they did. But I was very fortunate. I was really fortunate. One of the biggest uh, next jumping point was in 2012, I entered the new speaker contest at the ADA meeting. They have a contest every year. And someone said, you should enter. I'm like, Okay, so I went to San Francisco, where the ADA was, and I entered the contest, and lo and behold, I won. So I won the 2012 ADA New Speaker Contest, which automatically put me on the 2013 ADA meeting docket as a speaker. I automatically got that spot. So, you know, I, and I, I was not a very big speaker at that point. So usually you start off in the minor leagues. You do study clubs. You do local stuff. And I automatically got sent right to the major leagues. Um, and I really spoke very early at these big meetings, which kind of allowed me to do, you speak more and more and more, you know? So it's really interesting how these little stepping stones have really made a big um, dent into how my life has kind of evolved. So, so I'm curious because I look at people like Tom Brady and I'm fascinated by the fact that he was ready when opportunity came, you know? Yeah, when um, Drew Bledsoe got I don't know hurt. if you know, yeah, yeah, but but even when he got drafted, he was like quarterback number four, and he tells his agent, 
get a place for me there like and the guy's like you haven't even made the team yet and he's like no no don't don't worry <laughs> like yeah. like he just bet on himself you know he talks to robert Kraft and he says i'm the best investment you've ever made <laughs> and and just to have this like i have what it takes and i'm going to be ready yeah bledsoe gets hurt the mo lewis hit and then the rest is literally history now i i'm in awe of that because i find myself and i don't even know if you can relate to this battling with do i do i have what it takes like can i continue to be courageous can i continue to step out even though there's so much unknown because i don't like unknowns i like comfort <laughs> predictability at any any one of these steps len did you ever have those like oh shit what if i fall like straight on my face like like are you human or, or was this something that you just had this innate resilience and trust and you're like i got this yeah, and that's what it is. I, I mean, I still remember I went home to my wife one day. I said, I'm going to start a review company. She was like, have fun. Go for it. You know, little did, I, little did she know that our entire life would be not turned upside down in a bad way, but turned upside down because of what ended up happening. You know, I, I, she, I became a, I went from dentist to being a salesperson. Not that I'm, I also sell with dentistry, but I was a salesperson and, and involved more travel than expected. I, was, I missed a lot of my, child, my kid's childhood because I was traveling all over the country. But that's where, you know, that's the hustle in me, you know. Um, so, no, I, I am not a worrier in any way, shape, or form. I don't worry about anything at all. To almost to a fault, per se, because I'm not a worrier. And until something actually is, you know, they tell me it's bad, then, you know, it, I, then I start to worry. But I, I'm not a worrier at all. And, um, you know, it's just innate in my head not to, I'm always positive. I have the, you know, I'm always the half cup, the, the cup is half full, not half empty type of person. I'm always optimistic. That's just how I live my life. And, uh, but I'm not a worrier and I'm, I always have the confidence that I'm able to accomplish things. So you get this opportunity and you know, you're going to have the stage and the limelight and eyes are on you. You just what prepare hard, you know, I don't know, hire, hire a speaking coach. And then all of a sudden you just show up and crush it. I actually never hired, I've never worked with a speaking coach till recently. So back then I was, uh, I just went up there and did my thing. And, you know, I, I was always a fast talker and I've always, you know, when I was in college, they, I went to Tulane in New Orleans and they couldn't understand me because I talked so fast, but from where I am now to where I was when I first in practice, I have a much uh, slower tone than I, or voice than I had before. Um, but I was a very, very fast talker. I had to learn to change things. And even at some of my feedback that I had gotten from, from dentists, even I can still remember certain people wrote at the ADA meeting, you know, he, he's got great content, but he has to slow down. He talks way too fast. You know, I can't keep up with everything he talks about, but you know, I knew that I had something when it came to speaking, when, um, I gave a seminar for discus dental, I remember it in, in Philadelphia area. And um, people came up to me afterwards and told me that it was life-changing for them. I'm like, what do you mean? I taught you how to market. You know, I wasn't teaching, you know, any, any weird stuff. I was teaching how to market your practice. And they say, but you showed me there was a way that I can get more new patients I didn't realize before. So you reinvigorated me to want to do some of those things. And it was, it was, and I've heard that many times over the years when I speak. And it's, it, it, it's very, it's very humbling in my mind to, to have people come up to you who are your colleagues and they tell you that because of what I spoke about, that it changes their direction in life. And, and when I knew that I had that effect, I knew that I really wanted to, to focus a lot on my, on my speaking. And now I speak, you know, 35 to 40 times a year all over the country. Oh my gosh. I mean, I, I can see it now though. You know, 
people ask other dentists, hey, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great, you know, doing good. And typically the context is still, it's challenging to share where you're struggling. But most dentists probably struggle with how do I actually get a constant lead flow of new patients? But, but saying that, it's like, what's the point of saying that I'm slightly hopeless about this? So then all of a sudden they see Dr. Lentau on stage and you actually provide a roadmap of how they can do this. And then hope can reignite, hope can emerge again. Like that's, that is life changing because without that hope, imagine that means they're in practice feeling some measure of hopelessness that maybe they're not going to grow. Maybe they're not going to make payroll. Maybe they're not going to be able to have that dream that they've been making all these sacrifices for. That's a sad place to be in. It is. It is. And I look, I've had people that have come up to me and told me, look, I get nowadays, I get texts, emails, Facebook messages every single day asking them for advice on how to deal with negative reviews. That's what it, that's where, you know, no, being known as a reviews doctor really helps because people reach out to me. People I don't even know say to me, hey, I heard that you you've got this great Facebook group called Raving Patients. I want to join, but I've got a question. What do I do about this? Literally, as we're on here, someone said to me, I got this review that's racist. What, is, what should I do about it? So that's why I'm, I was ha having my phone. I was answering them, telling them I was on a podcast recording and I, because I am I, what I, one of the things I've learned in life is I need to be responsive as possible. And like, if I don't respond right now, once I see it, I'm not going to be able to because I'm so busy doing other things. So I try to respond as soon as possible. So people that do know me that are listening to this, it, they I tell people, you send me a text message or email, I will I will respond almost immediately unless I'm sleeping or I'm giving a seminar and I don't have access to my phone. Okay? So that's just how I live my life. So, so Len, if there's a doctor out there and... They, they love dentistry, yes, but there's also something in between what we're saying right now where they're like, man, there's something that I need to step into, I need to step up and do. What do you say to that person that's on the fence just because maybe they're scared of worst case scenario or they're, they're just not, not sure what to do? What, what would you say to them? Well, one of the things I like to talk about at my seminars is something called the 98% decision factor. I don't know if you know what that is. So I don't. Okay. So when I was in uh, a, a newer dentist, I took a, uh, went, I was in Boston. I went to the Yankee dental meeting and I saw a presentation by Roger Levin and Roger Levin talks about the 98% decision factor that 98% of the decisions in life, you should be able to make within two minutes. That's how fast you should be able to decide about these things. And there's 2% of the decisions you make that will need to be, you know, that could have life altering decisions that you need to make, you know, moving to Florida, selling your practice, buying a practice, you know, buying a car that's super expensive. Those are the decisions you need to take, you know, some time to decide on, but most decisions you make. Okay. And I'll give an example. BirdEye is a $3,000 piece of software. It's two fifty dollars a month. If you pay annually, $300 a month, if you pay monthly, um, that decision, whether you use to decide whether you're going to spend that amount, will have such an inc insignificant result in how you things play out. In fact, you should make a lot of money using it, but to, to take two, three or four weeks, a month, two months, three months to decide whether you're going to buy something for $250 a month, my life, I would never live my life like that. I would never do that. To me, that's, you can make that decision instantaneously, whether this is going to help me or not. So when people call me and, and they're, they're like, I had a consult with a, a dentist that I know. She's a brand new practice. She's open only a few months and she's a fee-for-service practice and she does not accept assignment of benefits. So patients pay her, 
okay, in full, and then they send to the insurance and they pay the patient back. And she said she's struggling getting new patients. I said you need to make some changes. But I but I told her these you need to make these changes like immediately. And in ten minutes we had put a whole new plan together for her. I mean that's the that's the people that are really successful make decisions quickly like that that have, are so insignificant in your life. So I'm a huge believer in that. Do you feel like that? Because um, this might answer the the question. But like over the arc of your professional career. Um, what do you feel like might have been one of the, I don't know, the biggest mindsets that you had to just embrace in order to be where you're at? Like maybe the decision-making was something that you've always done um, or was that something that you had to arrive at? Well, after I took that, that class, I mean, again, I have certain instances in my life that have really played a huge role in how I live. You know, that was a very big tipping point in, in how I live is that, Hey, I'm going to make decisions you know, and I did, I mean, I'm, I'm more, I'm impulsive. People know me, know I'm impulsive. Uh, I'm smart. I don't just throw money away, but I, but I make decisions real quick. Um, just because I have so much going on. If I don't, it doesn't get done. Um, so that was a huge impetus into kind of, um, you know, changing my, my, my career direction moving forward because I, I made decisions at a faster clip. Um, mindsets, I, I think mindset is so important. Um, but I think you always have to think positively. You know, people have, like I get dentists who reach out to me and they get one bad review and they think their career is over. I'm like, what? like, seriously? Like I get messages. I'm like, like I always say to people, if you haven't got a bad review and haven't been a dentist long enough, okay? Because just like if you haven't, you haven't enough root canals, you haven't broken a file yet. It's the same thing to me. Congratulations, you're officially a dentist when you get your first bad review. People don't, people hate coming to see us. We're not going to be getting everybody to leave a positive review about us. So right. I, I think a lot of it has to do with just the mindset. I really do. Okay. So I'm curious over the next five years of your life, if that was the title of a chapter in your book of Len, what would that chapter be called? What would, be, what would the chapter be called for the next five years of my life? Yep. <laughs> Um, well, my focus now is on, is really education. So, you know, I speak a ton around, I mean, I speak at a ton of meetings. I will tell you, there's no greater joy in my life instead of getting up in front of an audience and, and teaching them the things I know, because I have a different perspective on things. I've been a, I've been a vendor. I've been a, a, um, a dentist. I've been, I've been a lot of other things I've been involved with. So I'm, I'm definitely giving it from a different perspective, but I have the credibility because I did it every day in my practice. Um, now, I'm, as I told you before we started recording, I'm hosting my, my first live event in, in Delray Beach, Florida. It's called Supercharger Dental Practice. So I created an entire LLC called Tau Dental Seminars. So I'm going to go into that space a little bit. But I, I would say from practicing dentist to you know world-class educator, I, I mean, that would be the chapter, I guess, because I feel that you know over the next five years, I'm going to be... Not that I want to necessarily travel more because I travel a ton already, but, but you know, and I, I'm not a webinar fan. I don't like doing webinars because the interaction, I need the audience to, because I'm very, very, um, you know, I ask questions. I need the interaction. If my audience doesn't interact, I'm, I, I, I hate speaking. So I get them rowdy up from the very beginning. And I tell them right from the get-go that they're going to have a, a blast seeing my seminar. Uh, so I lay it on the line. So I think that would be a kind of a title. It would be from you know clinical dentist to world class educator, and what happens in between is what's there. So, 
That that is amazing. Okay, so if there's anyone listening right now and and they want to either get in touch with you or I don't know if you still do consulting, but they want your services or to follow you or to be part of what you're doing, where do you want their eyeballs to go? So they, I'm all over social. In fact, I meet people at trade shows that I, I've never met in person, but they say they follow me and they 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 are, they are very intrigued by what I do. So I am I am available on any social channel that you want uh, or that you have: um, Instagram, Facebook. Um, I, my cell phone number I'll give cause anybody can reach out to me. It's two, one, five, two, nine, two, two, one, zero, zero is my cell phone number. And my email, the best way to get a hold of me is Len L E N at D R L E N T A U.com. Excuse me. So it's Len at Dr. And, you know, just as I told you before, if you text me, I'll t- tell me who you are and I will respond super quick quick. If you email me, same thing. If you call me, I'll, if I can't answer, I'll send you a text and I'll call you right back. I will be as responsive as anybody you've ever met before. And that people test me on that. And I, and they, I'm hundred percent truthful with that. I will get right back to you. Len, that, that is amazing. Okay. So here's the closing question. You're walking down the street and in the distance, you see 18 year old Len and you know, you're just going to have one moment to communicate a sentiment to him. What do you share to him? So I'm, I'm, so you're telling me I'm going back in time and I'm meeting myself. So the 18 year old has a chance to live kind of the life over again. Correct. That's the assumption. And from everything you've learned in life to this point, you, you can impart something to that younger version of yourself. Well, that's a great question, but you know, I'm always somebody who lives life to the fullest. You know, I work hard. I'm fortunate because I have not, uh, I worked very hard throughout my career. Um, but I've never been given anything in my life. Actually, I've been given one thing. The only thing I've ever been given was my parents gave me my, my education. They paid for my college and my, my dental school. And I didn't realize how fortunate I was till, till afterwards, but I've, I've worked hard for everything else. Um, but I, I live life to the fullest. I enjoy life every single day. And I would kind of relay that to, to my younger self is that, Hey, live life, enjoy it. Um, you make, make sure your family is, is a, a huge part of your life. Um, and, and just sit back and enjoy the ride because it will be a great ride. Len, it has been so easy to honor you as an innovator, as someone that literally is pioneering positive disruption in the industry. I love what you're doing. I'm in your corner. I'm super excited about the seminars and everything you're going to be doing this year and in the upcoming years. And I just want to say thank you so much for letting me interview you today. I, I appreciate it. Um, I, I, this was, you know, I do a lot of web, I do a lot of podcasts and, uh, for those that listen to this, this was kind of a different perspective on me. Um, I think I've only done one or two other ones very similar to this, but this was an amazing experience. I appreciate you. Um, and I didn't know exactly what we're going to be talking about. So, um, I want to thank you for allowing me to kind of share my, my life with, with people and kind of how things have kind of unfolded over the years. Um, I appreciate you allowing me to do that. Thank you so much, Len. Thanks for listening and be sure to follow so you never miss an episode. To learn more about what's going on in dentistry, check out innovationindentistry.com.